Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance podcast. My name is Nate and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Chris. How are you guys doing? Great. And we're back with a friend of the show, Jude St. John. Thanks again for being with us. We're awesome. Gonna have, awesome to be here, Nate. We're going to have to get you a regular seat now. Uh, this is uh, awesome. Thanks so much for being with us. So we got an opening question for you today. And uh, the opening question is, who is the most reformed superhero? So last time we had Jude on the show, we talked about reformed theology, what it is, what it isn't, and talked about some of the qualities of uh, what it means to be reformed. So there you go. Who would be the most reformed superhero? The, the, the obvious answer is to throw out Batman because he's, he totally gets total depravity. I know we talked about that before. He hates himself, um, which is probably taking it way too far. That's hyper-Calvinism. We don't want that. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Wolverine. So Wolverine. Based on what we t- kind of talked about, we've all kind of talked about some issues like he smokes cigars. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's got a healing factor, so he understands the new life. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Nice. Um, And he's got a sweet beard. He does have a sweet beard. Mm. Plus, he's a short Canadian. I just feel like that's reformed. He wears plaid. (laughs) Yeah, wears plaid. He's got a titanium spine. This isn't a spineless guy. This is a guy who is a man of convictions. Man of convictions. I feel ashamed that I didn't think of that myself. (laughs) Just trying to help where I can. Wolverine. Nice. What about you, Jude? Most reformed superhero. Well, very sarcastically and tongue-in-cheek, I was thinking the Hulk. You know, if, if... if he gets into disagreement, he goes into a rage. Right. You know, the stereotypical Calvinist, <laughs> where if you don't see my understanding of the sovereignty of God, you must not be a Christian. Yep. And I'll yell and scream at you to show you that I'm right. But that was sarcasm. So th- this was uh, a little bit out of my area of expertise. You guys are much more superhero guys. Yep. So I-, I actually did some research. So wow, I'm gonna, nice. I'm going to throw this Came name. prepared. I'm going to throw this name out to you. Hell Scout. Hell Scout. Hell Scout. All right. He was part of the uh, Fantastic Four series and comics. Now, get this. He was a 17th century Puritan. His name was Kenneth Tennyson. He was sailing to America so that he could practice his religion and freedom. And he got caught in this alternate universe called the negative world. Okay. This is the hero. He was a Puritan. He wow. was a religious man. Hell Scout. Wow. I feel like you just dropped the mic on yeah, us. Yeah, seriously, dropped the we mic on us. Good, good research. That was, that was complete Google search, though. That wasn't, I, that wasn't inherent. So. Awesome. So did you Google most reformed superhero? I, or? You know what? That's what I started with, are Calvinist superheroes. And I actually found a website that lists all the religions and what zero superheroes went along with that religion. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. There you go. That's amazing. That's awesome. What about you, though? So I'm going to go with uh, Nightcrawler. Uh, Nightcrawler was an X-Men, uh, was one of the X-Men, and uh, he was a monk, right? So uh, he's got the kind of Martin Luther thing going there. He's a, he's a monk <laughs> in a monastery. Uh, his his particular mutation uh, caused a physical appearance that made him actually look kind of like a devil. Um, and so he was kind of banished from the monastery and the whole thing. Um, but uh, he kind of struggled with, uh, I think, what Martin Luther struggled with and what a lot of Reformed people struggle with, and that is, you know, the, the desire to devote yourself wholly to God and, and to live this kind of set-apart lifestyle, but also recognizing that because of his mutation, because of his powers, he can do better engaging the world. Mm. So uh, he, he's kind of doing this constant struggle between living the monastic life but recognizing that his, his, his powers need to be used for good, he has to engage the culture, he has to be on mission. So I'm going to go with uh, Nightcrawler on that one. 
feel like I need to up my game around you two boys. I went with Wolverine, very mainstream. You guys are both bringing out the heavy guns here. I know Nate did it without Google search, though, so that was impressive. Well, I'm going to try to redeem myself here. So (laughs) I've created a game for us to play. We name drop, it seems like, a little bit uh, often on this show. So we're going to have a pastor draft. So let me explain to anybody who doesn't have any idea what I'm talking about. This is kind of like fantasy sports for nerdy reform guys. (laughs) That's exactly what it is, Dave. So imagine for a moment that we each have to run a conference that runs concurrently at the exact same time, and every Christian has to attend one of our conferences. That's mandatory. Mm. There's no options. You can't go to one and then skip to the other. But we can't share speakers. So we have to okay, nice. draft in who we think. And we're, so we're competing here. Oh, yeah. This is 100% okay, a game. Love it. Winner gets free coffee on Nate. Whoa. Nice. <laughs> nice. Right, fair enough. Work. Fair enough. I'm <laughs> confident enough that I'll win. <laughs> so being that he's new, new to the show, why don't we have Jude go first? He can pick one guy. Then Nate, you'll go. And then I'll get to go twice. Right. And then, snake draft. Yeah, yep. snake draft. So Jude, you're up. You can pick one pastor. And then it has to be a living guy, so nobody can throw out Edwards or yeah. Spurgeon. Paul or Jesus. Or Jesus. Jesus. I yeah. should have went with one of them first. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Uh, to me, this is a no-brainer. Uh, first pick overall, John Piper. It's a good pick. It's a safe pick. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm glad that I don't have to choose whether or not I did this first overall or second overall. So I'm glad this guy fell to me. I'm going to go with David Platt. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to say David Platt because uh, when we were at T4G, uh, I, I was personally most impacted by his sermon. So I thought he knocked it out of the park. And every time I've seen him, that guy is just phenomenal. So yeah. in terms of uh, at a speaking conference, I want Platt. Uh, you know, I, and, and I will give you this. If I'm talking about the, the complete package, yep. you know, author, pastor, preacher... I say Piper. Yeah. But I would agree with you, uh, having heard them live, having listened online, flat out preaching David Platt. Yeah. Um, but you already got your picks. So I got you my got pick. Pi- I'm, Piper. I'm happy I got Piper. Platt. Well, it only took to the first round. I, I thought Platt would fall to me. Nope. And I was going to like, I feel like I really just snaked this draft by getting the only guy who I think preaching wise compares to Piper. So I'm lucky that I get two back to back picks. So I'm actually going to go. With Doug Wilson, get the good post mill guy in there for us. And I'm going to go with, uh, do I go with him or no? I'm going to, I'm going to steal Nate's boy. I'm going to go with Jeff Durbin because I feel like if it's a, if it's a pastor's conference, people are going to want to talk about current issues. And I don't think there's anybody better at that than Jeff Durbin right now. So. Yeah, he's uh, and and if I if if I had Jeff Durbin at a conference, I would be having him uh, preach on either uh, the gospel and social media or uh, his whole end abortion now stuff that he's doing. So uh, that's pretty solid. Uh, you know, so I got Platt out there. I got the 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 dynamic preacher. I'm going to take my second pick, and I'm going to go with the guy who I think is just amazing in terms of uh, not only is he a phenomenal preacher, but in terms of Q and A, and in terms oh, of of just <laughs> and and just in terms of kind of facilitating the day, I'm going to go with Dever. No, yeah, Dever's uh, Dever's going to go uh, second second round. You know, I was I was prepared on my draft board here. Uh, where I've worked out all the eventualities, uh, Dever was my pick for the exact reasons Nate said there's going to be panels, yep. uh, but that's gone now. So what am I left with? I think I got to go with a younger guy uh, to balance out uh, Piper and um, Kevin DeYoung. 
Nice. Kevin DeYoung. I debated uh, DeYoung right away. I didn't know if he would get along with Doug Wilson the whole time, though. (laughs) Yeah, you got to think about it. You you got to get a good match. And from the cross conference, I heard DeYoung and Piper butted heads a little bit over a particular issue. Yeah, that was. But uh, I'm good with that. So this means I get to go again, though, doesn't it? You get to go. You're up again. Uh, With the snake draft. So, hmm. This is interesting. I'm st- I'll admit I'm still a little rattled by not getting Dever. Uh, I'm working through He's that now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go. I've got two guys in mind. Um, I'm going to go with Sam Storms. Nice. I'm going to go with Sam pick. Storms. He's, He's one of my favorites. So I had two guys in mind. Storms was one of them. So you can you can feel a little bit better that you might have just stolen my guy. Um, I, I think... Uh, Yeah, I. It's tough, man. You, you, I. We've all seen. We've all seen our guys get stolen here now. Uh, so I think just because I have, um, I got a good lineup going here. I got Platt, the young dynamic preacher. I have uh, Dever. He's got the experience and he's he's great with the panel discussions and stuff. So I'm gonna go with a guy who I think will uh, br- relate to guys a lot. I think he's a good good preacher. He's good on um, on topics, uh, current topics. I'm gonna go Jared Wilson. Man, go with Jared guy. Wilson. He's a gospel man. Yeah, he's a gospel man. So he can come in and and he's pretty diverse, right? Yeah. Gospel centered worship, gospel centered. Yeah, he's good. All right, so I got back to back picks then. So I have to confess, I actually I probably didn't plan this out very well because I thought I'd get Storms and Jared Wilson with these picks. So I'm I'm a little rattled. So I'm gonna have to go with a, a lesser known guy. I think I'm gonna go with Paul Washer. Nice, just so I can hear him pray. That's boy, oh, man, you uh, is your conference on homeschooling or what? <laughs> you got you got Durbin and Washer and Wilson. Uh, I bet you better be talking about homeschooling. That's awesome. No, I was I was thinking about apologetics because I was going to go with Vody Bakum next. <laughs> nice, there you go. Yeah, it's it's on. Yours is the education conference. I don't. I think I've already lost. Is the answer, but that's I don't know how we're going to determine who wins or how many rounds we're doing. But I got my next pick, Twitter. and uh, oh, Twitter, nice. Okay, um, so I I think uh, just because I think he'll actually draw a different crowd. I think you know I, I think he's got a, a different circle here, and he's he's he, he's again. I, I think I'm pretty heavy on the Q and A stuff here, so I, I think this guy's going to fit right in with my my group, and I'm going to go with Tim Keller. Mm. Tim Keller. Tim Keller, yeah. I mean, he speaks the current issues well. For sure, yeah. So, yeah. Right, My Jude, team's shaping up Your here. last two picks, Jim. Last two picks. All right, I think, you know, one of the things I want to bring into this group is sort of a, um, a, a scholar who is, you know, a, an expert who can, you know, speak with authority. Yep. That's almost unquestioned. Yep. And so that leaves me one of two people. Um, five years ago, I, I would definitely go with J.I. Packer. But uh, J.I., as much as I have appreciated his work and his books and the rest of it, I know he's old, uh, struggling with some health issues. So I'm going to go with you know, D.A. Carson. Nice. I think D.A. Carson is the next J.I. Packer. He's that evangelical that will speak uh, authoritatively uh, on biblical questions, theology, and people will say, yeah, that's... He's right. Yep. Nice. So, D.A. Carson would be, and then I guess I get, we're only doing five rounds. Yeah, only five rounds. And so I've got to pick one. So I think this, I'm feeling good about this now because uh, I'm picking one of my uh, top preachers, 
uh, a guy who I think preaches in a style that uh, works very well with the younger generation, and he can preach narratively. Uh, he can even just talk through uh, scripture. Yeah, he's captivating, compelling, Matt Chandler. Nice, yeah. I, I knew, as soon as you started talking about him, I knew you were going to go with Chandler. So uh, I was thinking, I was thinking about Chandler. I just think the chemistry with the rest of my team would would be okay. pretty pr- pretty solid. And I feel like if Chandler and I hung out together, he, I, I think we get along pretty well. Mm-hmm. So I think it would kind of just be uh, riding his coattails a little <laughs> bit there. So uh, I think I get some retweets from old Chandler uh, if I did that. Did that. Uh, so I mean, there's there's a lot of good guys left. I mean, there's there's Alistair Begg. Uh, I think he mm. he's he's solid. Um, I'd love to see uh, a guy like Al Moeller, Ligon Duncan, C.J. Mahaney, some of these guys from the Gospel Coalition in the uh, T4G. Uh, but I, I like what you're saying. Uh, you're, you were talking about bringing in Carson um, for the scholarly side of things. So I, I'm I'm trying to decide between one or two guys here, uh, Frame or Grudem. And I think uh, I think Grudem is what my team is missing. So I'm going to go with Wayne Grudem. Well done. All right. See, I'm I'm looking at this now, and I I, I feel like I have to get somebody who is more scholarly on my team. Somebody who's got a little bit more hard hitting. I know Wilson has it, but Durbin, Washer, they're more to the culture. And Bauckham's obviously an apologetic. So I think I'm actually going to go with Duncan. I didn't expect to, or or beg. Who who do I want? Let's throw those up there. I'm going to go with Lincoln Duncan. I think. Nice. So let's recap the teams. And so you can uh, vote I think Ligon Duncan's a homeschooler too, so we know what Poots uh, <laughs> conference is on. There's going to be a Removal. lot of big vans <laughs> yeah. in the parking lot. <laughs> I, I was trying to go for just sheer amount of children. Yeah. So like, yeah, every, you're going to pack get, the place. If yeah. I get all the homeschoolers, I actually thought about taking Moeller just to get all of the Baptists. Yeah. Because then my conference would be the biggest that I win. Right. Right. Yeah. Even though it's not necessarily the best. Yeah. So we got Jude's team. You got Wilson in there though. He's he'll bring he's, the Presbyterian uh, power. Great. We got Jude's team. Started strong because he had the first pick. He goes with John Piper, Kevin DeYoung, Sam Sorens, D. A. Carson, and Matt Chandler. Nice. That is That's pretty good, solid. I'm, solid I'm pretty happy with that. That conference is a conference I would go to. Yeah. Nate's team. Nate's team. David Platt, Mark Dever, Tim Keller, Wayne Grudem, and Jared Wilson. Wow. Nice. Solid. I love that it. Is very three, solid. Three Southern Baptists, I think. Yeah. In there. So that's interesting. And then you got my team. I think the probably the the team. That biblically would win, but no, <laughs> I have absolutely no basis for that. Doug Wilson, Jeff Durbin, Paul Washer, Vody Bauckham, and Lincoln Duncan. Nice. So we're going to throw those up on Facebook, Twitter, and you guys can uh, decide uh, which conference you're going to since they're all running concurrently. Uh, do you want to go to uh, the Baptist uh, homeschooling conference <laughs> over there? <laughs> or do you want to go to the Desiring God uh, conference that uh, Jude's throwing? Uh, and I, I don't know, I haven't looked at my team much, but I feel like we're pretty diverse. So we'll yeah. throw those teams up and you guys can tell us which conference you're going to. And uh, I guess I'm buying coffee for somebody, whether it's me or one of these two clowns. Sounds good. <laughs> it likely will not be me. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, we actually, we have a cool topic today. And uh, we, you know, we talk about the conference and we're name dropping these guys. Uh, but one of the reasons we, we start with a fun game like that is just because uh, one of the things that has got each one of us to where we are is uh, the idea that these guys feed our minds and feed our souls. And so the topic that we wanted to talk about today is anti-intellectualism in the church. Uh, we, we live in a church culture, I think, where a lot of times experience trumps scripture. 
um, where we we feel hesitant about uh, the intellectualism that uh, that is inherent within uh, certainly in Reformed theology, but. Uh, so the church is uh, is moving, I think, towards an anti-intellectualism as we get more and more experiential, and I think that's a problem. And I know you guys do as well. So let's uh, let's start by defining Jude. Why don't you define for us what you think anti-intellectualism is, and we'll start there. You know, really, I think um, the anti-intellectualism is a false dichotomy that is put forward. Uh, that essentially, at least in, in my upbringing, there, were, there was the spiritual part of life and there was the soul part of life. Right. You know, intellect being part of the soul. And those two things were at odds. Right. That uh, if you want to, were a Christian, you ought to be trying to be spiritual, trying to walk in the spirit, and you should be not trying to be soulish. And you know, soul the, being comprised of kind of mind, mind will, and emotions, emotions. right? And if um, and that was um, uh, the the uh, contention was uh, to be one of those two things. It was much preferable to walk in the spirit um, than it was to be a soulish Christian, right? And so the anti-intellectualism was a uh, perhaps to to put a positive spin on it was a call to walking in the spirit. Yeah. So the, the, the accusation then would be that you're not being spiritual when you're trying to be intellectual. And, uh, and, and I think that's gotten us into trouble all kinds of ways. How would you articulate this problem or this, uh, this particular issue within the church, Chris? I, would, I, would, I kind of would say it's, it's that exact idea that somebody who's rooted in Scripture, who's studying, who's reading God's word, is automatically opposed to somebody who is invested in experience and experiencing God's presence and prayer life and things like that. People get the idea that you have to be one or the other. Mm. And I think if, if with the names we were dropping, I think the one thing we can all agree on with all those guys is that they're not one or the other, they're both. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that if we, if we try to go too far on either side, there's an issue. So we can't be all experienced because we do need to be studying God's word. We need to be in his word, but we can't go all that, all that way either because you still need to be, you know, living it out, experiencing right. the, the walk with Christ, right? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, the, the big issue I think that you touched on there, Jude, is the, the issue of um, whether or not man is uh, dualistic or triune, right? Are, mm-hmm. are we made up of... Um, soul, spirit, body, or are we made up of material and immaterial? Uh, I think we'd all be on the same page here where we say that man is dualistic. We are material and immaterial. Uh, Soul and spirit are used interchangeably uh, in the New Testament throughout Scripture, and so we wouldn't see a divide there. Um, and uh, we could we could uh, analyze some of the scriptures on that, but in, instead of doing that and, and jumping into that kind of uh, conversation, why don't we just stick with how uh, the anti-intellectualism kind of affects our, our churches? So like, how is it that people get suspicious of things when we start to say that you need to use your mind? How have you experienced that as a pastor, Jude? Well, you know, one of the things is in preaching. Like it would almost be a negative if you spent too much time studying. Right. You know, in, in studying the scripture and consulting commentaries and thinking hard over this, uh, you might be accused of overthinking it and uh, taking 
control away from the Holy Spirit right. uh, by using your mind in such a manner. And so, you know, that's a, I've experienced that having people say, well, you know, don't overthink it, you know, right. uh, leave room for the Spirit to work, right. you know, like he couldn't do that in the studying uh, yeah, or something that, like that. And that's what I was going to say. I've had uh, a pastor friend of mine who kind of talked about uh, preparing less to allow more room during his sermon for the Holy Spirit to move. And it was just such an absurd conversation to me. And, and my pushback to him was, uh, you know, he, he accused me of kind of putting the Holy Spirit in a box, right? So, right. You, you, so you, you, you get the big idea of your text and you, you nail down your points and you're doing all this stuff. And, and when does the Holy Spirit have time to operate? And, and my thinking is, you know, I'm not the one putting God in the box. You're thinking he only operates within the 40 minutes that you're That's preaching. Right. And I would say he's at work the whole week. You know, I write my sermons on Tuesday for the Sunday. And so the Holy Spirit's actively involved for those six, five days leading up to my sermon. And, uh, and I don't think that we need to uh, remove the, the work of the Holy Spirit from the, the study of God's Word. In fact, I think that's what Scripture says the Holy Spirit does, right. is He leads us into all truth. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think of the, uh, the Scripture, 2 Timothy uh, 2.7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Right. It's not either or, right. it's both and. You think and allow the Holy Spirit to work through that. Now, I believe there are, there are and should be uh, moments in a sermon where uh, perhaps you leave the text, you leave your point, you leave your planning. Um, I think good preachers can do that, and I think they do do that. Um, but I don't think there's anything inherently spiritual about not planning. Right. In fact, I would even argue the opposite. Yeah. That in it, that to go up there without having put the time in, without having uh, thought about it hard, without having prepared as best as you possibly can in the time given, in the constraints that are there in everybody's lives, that in fact that is uh, unspiritual. Right. Uh, to approach at least preaching in that way. And so since we're, since we're pushing on that point, I think it's important for us to kind of to bring up the really popular verse that we would uh, go to with this, and that's Romans 12, 2, that tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So for those of us who sometimes get accused of being over-intellectual or intellectualizing the faith, right, or not being spiritual enough or not giving room for the Holy Spirit, um, I, I would kind of push back on that and say, no, 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 the, the way that God transforms is through the renewal of our mind. And right. so, uh, and I know this is a point that you're really passionate about, Jude, so I want you to speak to this idea that you can't bypass the mind in the role of growing and, and becoming sanctified as a Christian. So do, can you speak to that for a few minutes? Yeah, you know, I, I, I read on that earlier on this year, and um, I can't remember if it was Edwards or Flavel, one of the two, uh, even went so far as to say that uh, grace only goes as far as your mind, you know, will travel with it. I'm, I don't know if I'm prepared to agree with that yet. Right. I think that takes... And yeah, that, that, I remember thinking. talking about that. That's yeah. Edwards. Jonathan Edwards talking okay, about Okay, Edwards. That, yeah. It must have been Edwards. Um, but, you know, I like to think of this in the sense that uh, Christianity and our belief and our faith is more than just an intellectual exercise, but it's never less than an intellectual exercise. Right. So I agree wholeheartedly. There is an experiential aspect to this, which Edwards would say as well. You know, it's one thing to... Uh, know and have the knowledge and the, the notional idea that, that honey is sweet. Uh, but then there's another type of knowledge where you actually taste it and right. know what that sweetness tastes like. I totally agree with that. But it's never less 
yeah. than intellectual. And so, um, you know, that's one of the approaches I have, I have taken that, that uh, I need to push myself as far as I can intellectually uh, so that that is part of the picture. Yes, there's experience as well. Yes, it's a relationship with a real person, uh, but it's not less than that, that intellectual side. Amen. And I know, so uh, Chris, uh, I know you're saved into uh, kind of Youth for Christ was, was kind of pretty vital in your, uh, I guess, conversion experience. And I know uh, the first few years of your Christian life was very kind of experiential. So what was that like for you? Um, like, uh, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, is you started growing when you started embracing this idea that, that God transmits his truth to me through my mind, and so uh, intellectually engaging my faith is big to me. So do you want to talk about that for a minute? Sure. I, for, for me, like, because I didn't know to be in God's Word and be studying God's Word, I was always looking for the next mountaintop experience because that was how I felt God moved among right. His people. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to a conference, and that was the time I would get filled. Sunday mornings was the only time I would get filled because I could experience worship. I could experience hearing the Holy Spirit come upon a pastor who's, who's preaching. And those were the only times I could myself feel close to God or feel like I was growing in my faith because those were the only experiences I was having. It wasn't until somebody sat me down and got me into good habits of, no, no, you need to be, your mind is a muscle, exercising this muscle, yeah, dealing with the texts, dealing with what God's word says about issues, about how to live a, a countercultural lifestyle. It wasn't until I started doing those things that I really saw one God's word take root in my heart, mm. but also just take root in my my mind, which led to my actions, right? Like you you can experience so much, but that isn't gonna put that isn't gonna put a lot of life change in you because you're just gonna be looking for the next mountaintop peak peak experience, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And and truth be told, I started out in ministry in, in uh, youth ministry. And that was something that I think is characteristic of a lot of youth ministries in in the North American church. And it's I think it's a big problem because we're we're essentially you know uh, big Christians come from little Christians, and uh, so we're we're training these youth to come into uh, big church, so to speak, uh, with this idea that it's the next conference, it's the next retreat, it's the next camp trip, it's the next whatever. Um, and and you have these big um, you call them mountaintop experiences, and they become kind of high watermarks. And then you know your your enthusiasm for your faith uh, kind of trickles down until the next one. And so that you you have this kind of um, up and down, up and down uh, Christian faith. And and for me, it wasn't until you I started realizing that it's the slow study and understanding of the Christian faith that creates that slow, steady, progressive uh, growth. So, I, Jude, I've often said this. I don't know if I stole this from you or if you stole this from me, but I know we both say it. Um, and this is um, uh, the, the idea of head, heart, hands. So this idea that uh, for us to actually live transformative lives, right? We, that's, and that's what we want. So we, we study God's Word to understand more things about Him, but we want it to work itself out into living lives that glorify Him. Um, but how that happens, the divine order, so to speak, is head, heart, hands. Understanding right. a truth, 
having that truth take root in our minds, believing it. And then um, as the more you understand it and believe it, the more it creates affections in your heart and your feelings get moved towards that intellectual understanding that you have. And the more your feelings are engaged with this understanding that you have, it works itself out in your hand. So head, heart, hands. I don't know who stole it from who, but I think it's really helpful. And I know you use it in your ministry quite a bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we've also said this, it, it could be one of us stealing it from the other, but whoever stole it first got it from someone else as well. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I haven't had an original thought in my life. So uh, <laughs> if I instigated that, I stole it from someone. I think it was Matt Chandler who said, all all the best pastors are plagiarists. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, yeah, I think this is this is pivotal. And uh, I like to sort of give people a picture maybe of, of what I'm thinking, an a- analogy. Don't take it too far because it'll break down. But, uh, you know, if you're talking about a steam engine, um, your mind, uh, your head, uh, is where the fuel goes. You know, whether it's coal or whether it's wood. You know, that's God's word. That's the studying you do, the reading you do, the the mental aspect of our faith. Uh, that's the fuel, yeah. and it goes in there. And uh, and your heart, your affections, um, are inflamed when that fuel gets in there. Right. That gives your heart and your affections something to burn. Uh, something that's proper to burn on. I mean, right. you can throw garbage in there. It's not going to be very efficient. Right. You throw the wrong stuff in there, gasoline, you might have an explosion. Right. Uh, but if it's good fuel, if it's if it's God's word, uh, it's going to cause that flame to get hot and to grow. And as it does that, if it's a steam engine, it boils the water, and then you know those pistons can start moving. And now my hands, I'm actually doing, acting, saying, speaking. Uh, those things uh, that I ought to be doing, that the affections, uh, you know, are the motivation uh, that come so that you can actually live out your faith. And I think that's a very helpful paradigm. You know, I've spent some time thinking about it, and I guess I'm not prepared to say it always works that way. Uh, It seems to me that sometimes um, it's our emotions that flare up first. And then uh, our mind catches up to understand what's going on, to, to see God's word about um, what has happened, and it works itself out that way. But in terms of sort of intentional discipleship and growth in the Lord, yeah, head, heart, hands. And, and the way, I mean, we're Bible guys, so the way we would kind of look at this scripturally, uh, for me at least, is, is like we said, Romans 12, 2, we're transformed, right? This is, the, this is the Holy Spirit's vehicle by which he transforms us. It's the renewing of your mind. And then I think about uh, Matthew 15, it talks about out, out of the abundance of the heart, mm-hmm. right? It's the mouth yep. that speaks. And That's so, right. um, so you're, you're working yourself out here, right? It's it, your mouth and your hands, they do what, uh, what your affections tell you to do. We, right. We're reactive people, and cause and effect is how we were created. And so it's that garbage in, garbage out, and you, yeah, it's a great analogy. Um, you're burning good wood, and, uh, and you can uh, move ahead the way that God intended us to, so... That's awesome. I hope you found that helpful. Uh, head, heart, hands, and uh, and we'd love to get your thoughts on our pastors' draft. Whose conference are you coming to? Um, but just to wrap this thing up, we'll go into the the Christian life hack, and uh, we'll ask you, Chris. Uh, uh, just we're, we're talking about head, heart, hands. How we're transformed by uh, the renewal of our minds. Uh, one of the things that we would all agree on in terms of something that has helped engage our minds is just reading good books. So Christian life hack, Chris. How do you start reading good books if right now you're not? No problems. I, before I answer that, I want to say one other thing. You can't, you can't love something until you know it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, don't, you can't love your wife until you've met her. 
You Amen. Know? So like <laughs> when you read God's word, you, you, you get to know who Jesus is and then you fall in love with him and mm-hmm. that works itself that's out right. in the hands. Yeah. I just Amen. wanted to yeah. add that. So if anybody was listening, that's how this process works. It's not a, it's not a checklist. It's yeah, a, it's, it's a, a relationship. Right? Yeah. So, Amen. But in terms of like how to, the life hack, how to go into, I, I call it the wean process going from reading garbage to reading good bo- good books that actually edify me and help me with my sanctification. For me, it was a, it was a slow process, just like sanctification is. You don't you don't pick up one day and start reading, you know, Charles Spurgeon's sermon series. You know what I mean? You could, <laughs> but it might be difficult to yeah. get to get right into that, right? Yeah. So I just over time just got into got into habits. I built myself the habits of, you know. I'd read a fiction book, and I would pick up a book that was recommended by my pastors. We've recommended numerous guys you could listen to, read, and I just would pick up one of their books, a blog or something that they've written, and just worked with it for a yeah. week, for a couple days, just got in the habit of doing that in my nightly devotions or my like on my 15 minutes breaks or whatnot, just got in the habit of doing that. And then over time, like we, like we said, the more you get to know something, the more you fall in love with it. The next, the next time I would go to Christian books before I would go back to a fiction until I eventually weaned off fiction books. Now, I still like a good fiction story. We talk about Star Wars all the time. But now it's a, an entertainment thing, not a, not a filling up my mind. Right. The Christian books and the Bible first off, obviously, are what fills that time with me. So right. it's just about learning and creating the habit of reading the right things over and over again. That's awesome. And and I mean, it would be our desire, I think everybody around this table, it would be our desire that our listeners are, are reading Edwards and Spurgeon and all these guys that have been so transformative for us. But I think I think you said something really wise there, Chris, and that is, you know, start somewhere. And for me, you know, I started with Piper, who then pushed me on to Edwards. And you kind of uh, gear yourself up for some of this stuff. And, and one book that I'll just recommend as we're closing here, in terms of head, heart, hands, in terms of how we're transformed, uh, and it's a really accessible book to start with, is uh, Paul Tripp's book, How People Change, uh, is just a, a great book to uh, kind of get you engaged. If you want to start reading good books, it's very accessible, it's very easy read, uh, and it's just full of gospel truth about how you get into uh, good habits and how you begin that transformation process. So thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, we are the Rebel Alliance Podcast, and uh, we'll be back soon with some more content.